0: This is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> uh, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay with uh, Jan Zleifer and um, Gary Graves. The uh, Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. Let's bring in our guest, uh, AJ Antonis Marquise. Uh AJ, you have, uh, you're a tap dancer, you're an actor. You are a, uh, a director. You've worked Choreographer. With, uh, choreographer. You've worked with um, <laughs> Theater Rhino. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I were on stage at the Douglas Morrison Theater, 110 in the Shade. You directed mm-hmm. my little uh, piece, Nia. And uh, you, you've done everything. You've done all sorts of things. AJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: great. Thank you for having me on. And it's funny to say I'm doing great in the... In the world of <laughs> the right, the apocalypse. But uh, personally, I'm doing well. A lot of lot of great healing happening, and a lot of great um, oh. community care happening around me. So, so that is great. Um, I, but when I look outside and I see the political landscape, you know, there's some anxieties there. But as far as day to day, right? Can you breathe today? I can breathe today, right?
0: I can. I can yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We'll talk all about that. And you know, it's it's funny. Norman and I were talking off camera just a few minutes ago about just psychologically how people are dealing with what's going on COVID nineteen.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think with with art, I've always said that with limitations, you either can curse the sky because of the limitations placed on you, or as an artist, you can say, "Okay, this is these are my limitations. How do I work around it?" And Norman, you and I have talked about this, you know, so many times, and I think. This is a litmus test. All of 2020 is a litmus test on what we as human beings can endure, how we can adjust, and or how we falter.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm hoping 20 2021 will be hopefully the most boring year of my life. I, I'm <laughs> I am praying for that.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but as I begin uh, my po- all of our podcasts. Uh,
3: how was your week, Norman? Um busy, you know, there was that crazy day where everything was orange. Um I did a modeling gig this week um here in my studio um and they said costumes, which you know isn't always a thing, but they wanted costumes. So I have this little which you are not going to see, this little um ladybug costume. Um it's it's very skimpy. <clears throat> So, but I figured you know that way they could actually see the form, the physical form. it's a you know, it's um figure drawing. Um, and then they said, "Can we see a different costume? So I'm on a break. I ran upstairs. I got this little hat from the dollar store. I stapled it.
0: I saw, I, I saw your Facebook post. that was a, Oh, yeah,
3: you yeah. can see it on Facebook. Uh, the whole little pirate outfit. I made a pirate. <laughs> oh, and uh, and I pulled up my pipe. Ah, there you go. So that was a trip. And then yesterday was um, this uh, standardized patient work again. Uh, We were talking about that before we started. Uh, You know, I had a guy who's got lung cancer. He's been smoking for 35 years, two packs a day, and he's had a cough for the last couple of months. And now he's coughing up blood. But does he think he has cancer? No, no. (laughs) oh goodness so it was it was kind of a trip um to to do and that's you know other than that it was just looking outside at the scary days yeah trying to decide whether you could go out
0: i'm always interested in what actors do as far as their side gigs or whatever you know you have your day job and you have your theater stuff and then you have other little things aj do you have a little side gig thing that you do
2: (laughs) oh
1: (laughs) so um not right now right now i'm really focused on um the school like i'm a i'm a director of theater at contra costa school for performing arts in oh. um, walnut creek yay therefore huh this is my going on my fifth year um at the at the program and so uh that takes a lot of my time especially during COVID times because we're trying to figure out how do you teach theater and empathy and and writing and care online So a lot of my time is spent um, navigating that world of online theater um, instruction. But back before this gig, I was doing some catering work on the side. Um, I would do little directing gigs here and there on the side. Uh, I love cooking. So that was a big part of my life. So I would do a little bit of cooking, a little bit of filing work. So some people will ask me to, you know, help them pick out an outfit for an event. So I do a little bit of that. So yeah, so yeah, you
2: know,
1: this and that to, to get those paid. But um, yeah, now I'm very lucky to have a job in which um, I can just spend most of my time there and still do what I love, which is theater art creations. So, That's
3: great. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with you about that because uh, the Eugene O'Neill Foundation is out out in that area, and uh, yeah, and we're always trying to get some diversity.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And actually, I was in contact with someone from the Eugene O'Neill Foundation, whose name I can't remember right now, but we were planning on doing something um, at the end of last year together. Oh! Um, but then, you know, of course, COVID hit, and, and then right. happened, but um, last school year. But yeah, it's because we, at, at our school, we teach a course called World of the Plays, where mm-hmm. we go through various isms, um, so realism, naturalism, surrealism, um, oh. activism, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm how the theater community responded to those various isms throughout history and of course one of those plays um we do is you know um long day's journey into night of course it's classic uh, in the realism world and so uh, we were trying to do some final way to connect our programs together last year but we are you know covid hit <laughs> so i'm happy that you are part of that as well norman and we can get that back on the
3: Oh, that would that would be heaven. Yeah, <laughs> assuming yeah. that there's you know life outside of these screens next right. summer. Right, yeah. absolutely.
0: Yeah, ho- yeah, yeah. Hoping so. Um, there have been some current events. Well, we, let's talk about uh, Wednesday. I mean, you know, my goodness, it was really like it was really like Total Recall, like the nineteen ninety mm. movie. I mean, just red, red, red everywhere. Right. Uh, I. I mean, how did you, I mean, of course, very few people even went outside, but uh, how did it, how did it affect you psychologically? I mean, with everything else that's been going on.
3: I stepped out and stepped right back in. I was like, oh, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, so I gratefully um, actually was in Malibu. Oh, ah, lucky you. And- um, and I was at this really beautiful um, Spanish-style villa doing some um, singing and healing and tea ceremonies and just kind of resetting. Um, and then Wednesday morning, yeah, I, I checked my emails and checked my social media and saw the Bay Area was completely in Mars. Um, right. <laughs> and I was, and it, is, it is terrifying, but um, I mean, it was terrifying, but also it really what it did, it made me angry. Um, uh-huh. And it made me afraid. It made me angry at the years of um, kind of narcissistic, sociopathic um, legislation that has happened that has protected our planet. Yep. Um, and before, when I first moved to the Bay Area, I actually worked for the San Francisco Department of the Environment doing mm-hmm. um, environmental education work mm-hmm. there. And, um, and we knew, I mean, the data was there. That was about, I guess, nine years ago at this point. Mm. Uh, but we knew it then, you know, a decade ago, that that this was a possibility of um, these extreme weather and the- Right. Pollution. And, but like, that's a decade ago, but decades we've known this, right? And yeah. it, it reminds me kind of of that mentality that Trump kind of said really loudly um, when he was recorded about COVID, when he was like, well, I don't want people to panic. Right. I didn't want people to panic, so we just downplayed it, and that's the same thing that's been happening in the environmental world as well. Yep, our legislators are not wanting people to panic, but we are dying from right. air, we're dying from food um, scarcity, we're dying from these horrible climate um, actions that are happening. Um, like as far as the hurricanes are happening in the south, the right know that are happening, the fires are happening that are getting worse and worse. Um, so this idea of don't tell them so they won't panic. Is absurd. Right. Because we're not panicking, we're dying.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd rather know the truth, uh, right. even if the truth hurts. I mean, I well, think, and you Al-
3: could prepare then.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think about Al Gore and uh, the uh, the movie that he did, the documentary,
3: right. Inconvenient, truth. Inconvenient yeah, truth. Yeah,
0: one and two, and you know. Oh, and, that's right. Yes. Yeah where he basically talked about, see, I told you that this was going to happen. And you're right. And it cuts across uh, political lines. I mean, you know, Democrats and Republicans. I'd rather, I mean, you're absolutely right. When Trump talked about, well, yes, I knew that COVID-19 was dangerous, but I didn't want to, you know, worry anybody. Well, you made things worse. I mean, we're going to hit 200,000 deaths in the United States by the time we hit November. Yeah. That's inexcusable. I mean, it's more than, I think, what, 30 times of um, September 11th what
3: we just oh lordy to, yes we yeah. and we have to go there don't we <laughs>
2: oh, yeah oh, no. i'm sorry
3: i hurt bar's feelings because oh. i was like you know september 11th i mean i remember and yes i I got the scary too but mostly my day just got interrupted and you know had to change course that was all for me she's like well but i mean for people who knew people or had family back then, i was like ooh, you're right i'm sorry let me shut up
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think we had an interview with someone, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was Carrie Ann Roscoe who talked about, no, it was Kim Donovan. It was Kim Donovan. Remember she mentioned that she uh, was near there during September 11th. So she sort of witnessed everything that was going on, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, It was, but you know, what's happening now. I mean, we'd have to deal with reality right now and we have to sacrifice. I mean, and it deals with the environment as well. You know, if that means we need to, you know, do more as far as recycling, or putting less chlorofluorocarbons out there, or less use, not driving as much. I mean, I bike all the time, and uh, I I know you've got your little bike thing uh, for your birthday thing. So, you know, these are the things, these are the sacrifices that we have to do to make the environment better. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the the fire that happened, some of it was thunderstorm, but, you know, there was a couple who had their gender reveal uh, party and they set off pyrotechnics. Ooh,
3: boy, everybody's <laughs> mad about that.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. There were two things. There were two things that popped up on this week that I wanted to touch on. And I just wanted to see if you know you guys had any thoughts about it. Sure. Kyle. Okay, Kyle Rittenhouse. This is the 17-year-old who shot um, two individuals in um, Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin. This mm-hmm. is the white kid. So to, this week he was charged officially with two right. counts of murder, one count of attempted murder. And there's a, uh, I guess, a narrative which is going on with the, right, with the right-wing media saying, well, hey, this is self-defense. Right. These Black Lives Matter folks were chasing him, and this poor 17-year-old kid had to defend himself. Well, he's walking around with an AR-15 that he didn't Ill- that he illegally owned.
3: Um, oh, and by the way, when they were chasing him, it was after he had already killed somebody. That's why they were chasing him. Right. right. Nobody he was po- chasing him before that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I don't. I have very little sympathy, but he's still also seventeen-year-old. He's still a child, so, and I'm I'm pretty sure he's indoctrinated by this. But AJ, I mean, what do you feel about what's going on? What's your take on Black Lives Matter and Kyle Rittenhouse and what's been going on?
1: So, um, I will speak first about Kyle Rittenhouse in general, uh, specifically. Sorry, and then I'll talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter in uh, in general, but. Um, I actually wrote a post about Cal uh, Rinhouse on my Facebook wall um, because when when I heard the news and heard that he was a 17-year-old kid who had dropped out of high school, whose mother had driven him across the state lines and brought him right. uh, and, and allowed him this gun, right? And and and, and, and um, I thought about my my kids, my students, right? And I and I call them my kids because I really believe them as my kids, and they are really. Right to me uh but they are 17. i have you know myself my seniors are 17. my mm-hmm. juniors 17, 18 years old and right they are sitting in these classes in which um we facilitate that is all about cultivation of empathy about learning different philosophers and ideologies that has permeated the 20th and 21st centuries uh, but also going back as far as kind of indigenous cultural identities and african cultural identities um and practices that have all been about creating circle, creating space, honoring ancestors, and, um, and creating space amongst each other. And what I was so sad about is that I thought this kid could have been in my classroom. This kid could have been in my class sitting and learning these ideas that help us expand um, our collective consciousness of care. Um, He could have been learning about empathy. He could have been learning about how do you voice your disagreements in a way that is um, helpful and useful um, versus uh, destructive and murderous. And so my sympathy comes from the fact that he was denied that opportunity to sit in a classroom of peers and feel seen and heard and loved beyond the place of guns and murder and destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so for me that was I was sad mostly I was sad that right. this kid um, Felt that because his Parental um, units and the Environment he's raised in um, Told him that the only way to protect And the only way to have your voice heard Is to carry an AR-15 And to use it if necessary yeah. um, And that and that for me Is why I was sad I don't feel um, imp- I don't feel sympathy for the fact that Um that racism, that, that, that racism <laughs> right? Like I don't, I don't feel bad, um, you know, because because it's it's 2020, and we should understand at this point that racism is horrible and it's a sickness and it's a disease that needs to be eradicated from our consciousness and collective idea, um, identities. And yet, um, I felt sad because he's 17. I felt okay. that he's a kid um, that made an adult decision, an adult decision, right. but it wasn't. It wasn't his decision alone, right?
3: Yeah. Thank you. No. Thank you for reminding. us. Right. I mean, if we don't, if we lose our compassion, then we just become yeah. monsters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, and too, and like, right. And it's easy to, just, it's easy to just say, oh, well, you know, forget about that kid. He's a racist. Um. And if he was a forty-year-old man, I might have that opinion. Right? <laughs> I have no time to like even think about what or care about what he has to say about why he did this, but. Because, right. It, I feel a little bit more um, compassion towards them, um, and then as like the Black Lives Matter movement in general. I remember um, the first. Oh gosh, it's like how many names of their band since we started this Black Lives Matter? Oh, many, many. Ahmaud Arbery. Oh right. Yeah. Taylor What <laughs> week is it? Yeah. What week is it? Right, and how many you know every week? And I, be- I am sad that this kind of um, mantra. Because it started as a mantra, it started as a mantra of being that Black right. Matter as a statement of being, and not as this kind of organizational, uh, right. political entity, but as simply a statement. In the same way that in the sixties and seventies we heard, we said, "I, I am a man," right? And right. science that were
3: being held up saying, "I am a man," right. Nobody else is coming at you, going, "Well." There are other men.
1: Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. And so it, it was really disappointing to me that from this kind of mantra of, of, um, of like, identity, we have this, well, all lives matter, and blue right. lives matter, and green lives matter, and alien lives matter. And it's like, well, that's at the point here, right? Because in the same way we don't say, you know, we don't have Breast Cancer Awareness Month and then say, well, what about lung cancer? right. No one, says, no one says elbows
3: what about elbow cancer what about
1: elbow cancer right it's like no we are we are folk hyper hyper focusing on a cultural identity that needs specific care and healing right now because yeah. our culture has destroyed it over and over and over again yeah. and so to say black lives matter is simply to say i like can i breathe here can yeah. i street and exist here can i walk down the street and say and be successful here and and not be harmed here mm. can we do that collectively because right now black lives are, are under specific attack yeah. um and so we're talking about specificity and i think that um it's such an important movement and i have myself been at these rallies and been at these movements um really? had police guns in my face mm. and had um you know shouts of of danger being uh, you know tear gas been thrown at me and and Uh and pepper spray been sprayed in my face so i've been in these moments of active um activism and but i will say that that's like a small part of these moments right Uh i think like are often um media on the media that's being shown but what i see there often we are out there dancing right Right, literally. Like, honoring, literally, and honoring ancestors. And we are like just having, it's a party of blackness on the streets that we're, in which allies are invited to attend. And so it's really interesting. I actually, like I said, I was in Malibu um, this past weekend and I had an incident with an Uber driver. And, huh. I, and I said, um, or, uh, or just a, a driver, and I said, um, well, he was, um, he asked where we were from I was like oh we just got into town and actually we we're from oakland and i was with a friend of mine and he was like oh well how's oakland And i was like oh, oakland's great Yeah, <laughs> so oakland's like who is kicking he's like oh well and then he shifted the narrative and he said oh well if you call um having 90 days of violence great and and attacking federal buildings and cutting shutting down the blah 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 great right. and I- Firstly sir like you're getting your narrative from the RNC right now right is you know and that is not the narrative of Oakland right and there are active active uh, moments of resistance that are happening throughout our city but that is not all of Oakland right and, uh, and he talked about the federal building in Oakland and I was like well that actually wasn't even the BLM in general that was a boogaloo a white supremacist right government organization that 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 the guy was a part of right, right. So, it's just this moment of um, this guy who had no idea really what's happening in Oakland, has never been to Oakland, has right. never Oakland, has never like stepped foot uh, in Oakland streets, having this opinion that's being um, touted by the RNC's um, National Convention that yeah. happened a couple of weeks ago. That And these folks have never been to Oakland, right? Like when is right. the time Donald Trump was in Oakland? I wish wish his ass would come to Oakland.
2: We we (laughs) would be there. We would be
1: there.
0: And the thing is, I mean, people get their narrative from where they want to get their narrative. You know, people. Some people want to be uh, enlightened. Some people really don't care. You know, like uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. was on a television show and he basically says, "Well, we all do stupid things, and you know, uh, we can't just judge this kid and whatever." I mean. People pick and choose what they want to believe. You know, it's, it's funny, I, listening to you talk, AJ, about children. You know, children at an age where they're trying to absorb every everything. They're trying to really get a grips of what's going on, especially in 2020. How do children understand how to deal with COVID-19? Right. How to deal with the rhetoric that's going on politically? Mm-hmm. and also with Black Lives Matter. And you're right. I wish that Kyle Rittenhouse were. And because I had read that he was bullied. That's one of the reasons why he dropped out of school. He was bullied. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's sort of how you get radicalized. You get pushed to the other edge. I, uh, I read that Candace Owens before she became a, um, a right-wing, you know, spokesperson. She was bullied as well. Yeah,
3: cyber-bullied, yes.
0: Um, yeah, and uh, Katrina Pearson and a couple of others. And yeah. I really think there's the psychological or there's the undercurrent psychology behind what we do politically. <laughs> and I think those who are pushed to the far right, who somehow have an issue with, you know, the Democrat Party or Black Lives Matter or just people wanting to live the way they want to live and want to love who they want to love, you know, even get dealing with gay, lesbian issues sometimes they are pushed in the, you know, in their way, they try to justify it by, you know, the rhetoric, but really deep down inside they're hurting them, you know, they're hurting within themselves. Kyle Rittenhouse said that he was protecting and defending, but really he's lashing out because of something that's being hurt within himself.
2: Mm -hmm. And I really
0: think that, you know, when we talk about theater teachers and theater and art being in the classrooms, it's, it really is about empathy. It's about teaching kids, Hey, let's do a scene where we can act all of this stuff out. Mm-hmm. We can get your real feelings in, and then you can learn empathy, and you can learn about tolerance, and you know working with one another. And um, so I, I agree with exactly what you're saying. My only its little- funny.
3: I wanted to touch on the um, the Oakland side of it. Yeah, I used to. So I moved to Oakland, and I became a booster. I was like, you don't understand Oakland. Oh my God! And actually, initially, because I'd moved from San Francisco, initially I was doing like a lot of people do. Oh, where do you stay? Oh, I'm 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 in the East Bay. <laughs> And after a while, I was like, No, no, no! I'm in Oakland, and I'd see the look in people's eyes. And at first, I said, No, you don't understand. Oakland's great. And then I started thinking about it. When I lived in San Francisco, you'd hear about that hot new breakfast spot. You try to go there. You got to stand outside 40 minutes to get inside. I rarely have to do that in Oakland. And I started thinking, Wait a minute. No, you're right. Oakland is dangerous. Please do not come to Oakland.
0: (laughs) Keep the secret to ourselves. No
3: way. (laughs) But no, AJ, but you make me realize the other side of that is the world is still hearing that other message yeah. and they're scared because what your guy is talking about is what's happening in Portland, not what's happening right. in Oakland. Yeah, there right. is protest in Oakland, but I have to search for it because mostly right. it is peaceful or it's right. like you said, people are dancing. Right. That's not going to make the six o'clock news unless there's mm-hmm. nothing else happening in America. Yeah. Absolutely. I constantly
0: tell my parents, you know, in Washington, D.C., it's, it's funny, I'm 50 years old and my parents see, can still call me. They do it in the name of love, but they're like, oh, my God, you know, you want to move back? Because I hear wild things. I'm like, no, everything's OK. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so on Thursday, so my, football is back and the Kansas City Chiefs, who won their Super Bowl, they played against, uh, I forget who they played against, but in any case, so they, they had a unity, I think it was the Baltimore Ravens. They had a unity thing. Right, it was. The, yes. The the guys, all of the players from both sides kneeled and recognized yeah. Black Lives Matter, which is a wonderful experience, with yeah. the exception of the crowd who booed them. Yep. So there's more work that needs to be done. I mean, oh, I don't know yeah. if you guys heard about this.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. I, no, I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, it's such, it's I, I such a I love it. Mess. I love that we are in that place because these people are so committed to their football that even though a, a message that is offensive to them is being inserted into it, they're still there. They're still there. Nobody they're got it, walked out and asked for their money back.
1: No. Nope. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, I remember. And, um. Yeah. And it's just so it's just interesting how like deeply connected we are to symbols that are kind of meaningless. In a lot of ways, we give. I mean, we give symbols meaning. They don't yeah. really have meaning. And um, I remember in 2011, maybe 2010, I choreographed a piece um, in which um, an American flag was rigged to the grid, and then it fell. Uh uh-huh. a Piece, and it hit, and it, it hit the ground. And I remember having my professor at the time being like, "Oh, uh, you have to be careful with this. That, that that's kind of like, are you sure you want to?" And I was like, "Look, like this is this is this is a." This, this is a cloth, right, that we give symbol, that we give meaning to, right. and trying to. And I'm specifically trying to not focus on the symbol, but actually focus on the lives that are being lost. So the piece was about um, young, um, young folks being lost at war, right? Going oh. in into- um, mm-hmm. time of like Afghanistan and, and, um, and not, not, not really being anti-military, um, but really being anti this idea of war that is taking a lot of our young right lives um, and a lot of young people of color lives and a lot of of poverty of people oh right yes right you know and so um and i know and i know Norma, you were in the military as well so you can speak oh yeah about that too but um but yeah so the, but it's interesting how we honor we hold so much honor to these symbols but not really focus on the lives that are that are really being lost and really yeah. not being cared for and
3: well i love the distinction you're making because i know yeah. yes as a vet um, I hated the military the whole time I was in. Mm. I have learned as I've gone on, especially through theater, how important structure is, how important symbolism is, how important these affects, these things that we put on it or that we know our audience is going to put on it, and we can use that to to get a message out. Um, and so I've, I've become much more, not so much pro-military, but pro that idea that there is an important way you can use this structure i think ultimately the value of human life needs to be higher than than the mission um, Mm -hmm. which is not the way the military works but i think there's so much that can be gained and learned from it if it's used correctly and yeah i want i love that structure i love creating an image that I know my audience is going to go, wait a minute, what was that? And in particularly as, you know, as a black man, to get into positions where the character wasn't cast that way or hasn't traditionally been cast that way, to know that I'm going to come with the truth about who this person is. You are going to bring your own truth to understanding what I'm doing. Like, yeah, that's on you. That's not on me. And so we're stuck in this place now where all of these, the smart people are using all this symbolism to send the messages they want to send, despite whatever the facts are. And Mm -hmm. we're now having to wrestle with, how do you get people to go, okay, I understand you have some feelings. Can Mm -hmm. we connect your feelings to reality? Exactly. to history. Yeah, no, it's reality and
1: to history, right? And 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 that same piece um it was set in um the 1940s i believe i said it but um we were saying the pledge right and the pledge of allegiance and we mm-hmm. didn't under god the, we didn't say the word under god in the pledge but that was historically it was not there exactly right. it was it was put it in and added yet yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah so it was like so you have to understand that i am not, i am actually not making up i mean i kind of right. but i'm not also because it actually is historical and right. I, we are so anti-science, anti-history, right? Like right now, the Trump administration wants to is is attacking the whole 16, 19, 16, 19. um pro- project, which I do believe has some room to be strengthened academically, uh, as far as like what is being asked of the students within it. Right, I don't know what they're talking about. They're just they just don't want to have any narratives that are anti like their narrative, which right. is. 76 was the greatest year of, in the history of the world. Um, so they, they don't want, Amer- they really want American exceptionalism to be the primary um, educational system in this country versus having this kind of robust discussion about what happened over the last 400 years to get us to, to where we are now. And I, and I'm um, and i, and I I'm really, that really saddens me as an academic um, as well, because if we don't, if we're not studying history, if we're not kind of looking at multiple lenses and multiple viewpoints and multiple first-person um, ideas, then we're failing ourselves as a as a culture. Um, and that's kind of what the world wants right now though. Well, at least America is like, the American politics are very much so like, don't look at history, look at what's happening.
3: Right. More than ever now, yeah. More than ever yeah. now, and it's like, well, come
1: on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you, yeah, it's interesting uh, that uh, I wish I had seen that piece, the piece that you had uh, directed. You're absolutely right. You know, we need to we need the theater to challenge the way that we think, you know, even either, either to reinforce our beliefs, like this is the reason why I believe what I believe, or at least I yeah. justify it, or to say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. And you're right. There's a fine difference between patriotism and fascism. You know, mm-hmm. fascism, I mean, every no matter what Country you go to they 're going to be proud of their country and proud of their culturalism, but if you take it to the extreme where you are so proud that you are against everything else you are against any thought that your country could be wrong that America could be wrong right you know, that the flag is anything more than just a piece of felt, and that I can still be an American I mean quoting Richard Wright, I can be an American and not you know say pledge allegiance to the flag right. I remember going to a ball game with a, a friend of mine nation lady and You know, at the seventh inning stretch, you know, they sing, take take me out to the ball game. Yes. We didn't feel like doing it. And we got some dirty stares. I'm like, okay, so I don't care. But, you know, there are some folks who are so, hey, we've got to be united and we have to be united as one. And everyone has to think the same way. Well, that's not what America is. And right. go getting into history, the founding fathers, you know, they're very much against religion. They didn't want to say under God. They want, they talk about prudence. right? And, uh, and, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why they came to America, because they want to get away from the Catholicism of the uh, King George the Third.
3: Yeah. Uh, oh,
0: so yeah. So in any case, yeah. So uh, art has that purpose of challenging the way that we think. And, um, and also diversity
3: and all that stuff. Are that- you, are you going to check, are you going to touch on Rochester? Oh, talk, talk, talk to us about it. I, I, I hate, I actually spent a lot of time yesterday because it's, felt, it's so quickly fallen out of the news cycle. And I was like, wait a minute. So the command staff of the Rochester Police Department all resigned mm-hmm. or retired, the chief retired. Um, and he retired because he said he did not like the mischaracterization of his career. And I'm like, wait a minute. What we're specifically talking about is this man died. On your watch, y'all lied about how he died, and now it's come to light, and everybody's upset about it, and the state AG is going to investigate, and that's when you decide that you need to retire because you don't want to be mischaracterized. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So apparently, there's a cover up here. You're the chief. You're the chief. This cover up happened, and you didn't do it? Great. Why don't you go get those people? Isn't that your job? Go get those people, those bad people that covered up. If you were a part of it, then no, you don't get to retire. Retire, yeah, I got to sell for you. Retire, mister. <laughs> yeah. but, but they're black, and it happened in Seattle, and it happened in, was it Houston or someplace in Texas? And it happened in Rochester where these black chiefs, have all stepped down because they said they didn't like what was going on. And everybody, the narrative, that's what I'm mad about, is the narrative is saying it's Black Lives Matter's fault, that they're destroying things and they're these poor, we've worked so long for black people to get to this position of power and they're tearing them down. And I'm like, well, if they're covering up people being murdered, I don't care what color they are. You know, this reminds me of the,
0: um, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, in 2000, there was the uh, Fajita Gate. And the Fagans uh, <laughs> to make a long story. San Francisco. Who, right. For those who don't remember, uh, so there was a cop who was off duty and he was harassing a gay guy. He was harassing a gay guy, I think, in the, uh, the Fillmore District, uh, basically saying, hey, you have fajita, give me the fajita or whatever. The gay guy calls the cops because he doesn't realize the guy's a cop. And right. the cops are like, OK, we're going to arrest you. Oh, wait a minute. You're one of our guys, Fagan. So in any case, it reminds me of that because the chief of the police was a black man. And he had to go against his own kind. He had to go against, you know, a cop. I mean, they always say, we had Dwight Moore on, on my they're other blue.
2: podcast.
0: You're either black or you're blue. And so, in one way, I do feel a little bad for police chiefs who are challenged to, hey, you need, you're need you part of this department. You need to set the record straight and get your department in, in line. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's tough because, you know, they're, some of them... Unfortunately appease, you know, these cops try to say, hey, I'm really on your side and all that sort of stuff. But yet you have to be black at the same time. I mean, do you pull away from your blackness? Or do you push your department to do things the right way? And some can't, you know, if it's almost like a football coach, you know, if you can't get your team to obey and buy into what you want, you'll be fired, even if you're right.
3: Right. We've seen that plenty of times.
0: Yeah. yeah. AJ, uh, before we get into an origin story, how do you feel about uh, the election? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? How do you feel?
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel exhausted. You know, I, um, I feel um, that the federal election for president is, one, is only one election that we need to be concerned about. And I think that um, we often put all of our focus on the president. But yeah, we should be thinking about who our local legislators are going to be, yeah. uh, who's going to be in our, you know, representing us in Congress and the and in the um, Senate, and 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 who's going to be re- working with us on the on the ground level. And, you know, yeah.
3: judges, district, district attorneys,
1: judges, district attorneys, all those folks, because that is really is going to be. Uh, and our mayors right and and because that's really what's going to be um supporting our movements locally and also giving kind of pressure to the federal government to move in the way that we want them to move, um, fully mm-hmm. if we have local power, that's going to put the pedal to the metal in that way. Um, so I, I first want to say that like, make sure that you are looking at who you should be voting for in your local elections. Um, try to vote as progressive as you possibly can. Um, look at their ballots ahead of time. Don't be surprised by candidates. See what's going on there. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, I will say that as a kind of a, uh, a little push for that, uh, but in regards to the federal election, I don't believe that our that 45 is going to leave this um, that 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 house easily. Right. And I don't believe that it's going to be a a smooth transition of power. Yep. Uh, and I believe that we should be preparing ourselves for uh, what will be a fight. Um, it, whether he wins or not, it's going to be a fight. Yep. And I and I believe that we are at a place where um, kind of the civil wars, civil and culture wars, are happening in our communities um, right now are just going to hit their highest level peak. Yeah. Especially because we are in a pandemic and people are desperate. They are they're impo- they're poor. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their their um, livelihoods, um, and they are angry. And we. Mm-hmm. End- Collectively, we are angry on both sides, on all sides. There's a lot of anger happening. Um, so I, so it gives me a little bit of, a, of some anxiety about what's going to happen with this election, um, because I do believe it's going to be a fight regardless. Um, but I do believe that that shouldn't stop us from going out and and, and and using our voice and going to the right or, or mailing in your ballots. You have to. It is so important to do so right now. Um mm as what you feel, right? I'm not the biggest fan of um, Kamala or of Biden.
0: Yeah, agreed. Are you a Bernie guy? or are you
1: a Bernie bro? Um, no, I'm not actually. Well, I was in the last election. I was more into Bernie's uh, politics. I was actually really on Team Warren this year for... Uh, yes! For, um, I loved... Um, warren's politics and i love that she had a lot of connections to wealth um so that she could work within these kind of systems to yeah. them um and she's a white woman and that is that within itself is powerful and i really enjoyed that um, right. but i i will say none of that really matters at this point because we, yeah. have, we have to vote for and we cannot vote for this evil ass man again
2: no.
3: <laughs> my, my, man. my wife yeah. is upstairs uh, making calls my wife yeah. is is on a phone bank. I think they're calling Arizona just to make sure people know yeah. when the deadline is for getting your request in to get yes. your ballot.
1: Ballot, yeah. You have to, you have to, because he, um, because it's not so much, right? Because like we have been debating these kind of like uh, social, cultural ideas for a long time. Things like abortion, yeah. things like federal funding. Things like um, how like unemployment and social security and like how we spend our social kind of equity. If those things are debatable. Um. Even though they shouldn't, I'm like I'm over the kind of debate of, like, about people's choice in bodies, but mm-hmm. um, but but that is not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about a man who really is not for anyone except himself, really. Right. Um, and 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 he's not really for the people. He is or any people. Like not just right. Like, we said the people. We often talk about progressive folk, but he's not for anyone. He's for right. him. He's not for anyone who's in poverty. He's not for anyone in the Rust Belt. He's not for anyone in the Bible Belt. He is for himself and his friends. You have to get rid of him because it is causing a lot of – because a lot of folks are confused. They're like, oh, well, he's standing up for religious values. It's like, but he's not. But he's not, right. He doesn't care about religious values. He cares about himself. And if holding a Bible in front of a church – in D.C. helps him get that vote, he will do it.
0: Yeah. It's the thing that I find fascinating about Republicans. You know, they're like, well, it doesn't really matter what he says or whatever, but he is the conduit. He is the, uh, he's holding on to the values. And so Mm -hmm. that's why it really doesn't matter what he says or what he does or whatever. And I've never understood that at all. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like going to church and the preacher is preaching some crazy stuff. And you're like, well, yeah, the preacher sleeps around, but, you know, we're (laughs) here for the word. And it's right. Crazy. I mean, how in the world do you do that? One thing that really frightened me uh, this week, I heard that apparently the U.S. Postal Service they're using some subcontractors to deliver mail, and right. one had just dumped it. I guess the dumping yeah. it in the trash or something like that. I'm like, oh my god, please don't tell me that. Right. Yeah. But even with that, I'm I'm positive. I'm looking at the polls. Um, yeah. I know that the polls deceived us in 2016,
3: mm-hmm. but Biden
0: is doing so much better than Hillary Clinton. I think that uh, I don't know. I'm an optimistic person. I think that we just can't. We can't
1: make the same mistake twice.
3: We we got to keep fighting. At this point, we got to stay active, and keep getting yeah. the message out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and for me, um, I keep like uh, I keep three friends on my social media who are um Trump um Republicans and friends from back home, and I keep them on my I keep them on my social media just so I can see what the other side is talking about and see what's yep. going on. Um, and it is interesting um, what is happening because this narrative of faith is coming up in the conversation so much. Like, well, we have faith that he's going to protect us from blah, 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 blah. Right. We're really not any evidence. Um, and, and it's hard to kind of consider, um, to debate faith, right? Because it's, Faith is the belief in things unseen, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah. it's really or- hard to do that. But I, I agree with you, um, Bridge, that I, I, I also feel some optimism, um, and that folks are waking up. And I also know that the eighteen year olds, the kiddos who are their first time being um, being able to vote, they are fired up. They are right. Mm-hmm. they're like absolutely not when, because they have grown up in a like can you imagine they grew they were born after 9-11 yes Grown up in a world in which it was just has been out of control madness forever yep. lives and so they're 18 they're like let's get it done <laughs> let's get some progressive ideas in here and let's move forward so that's what gives me hope because our kids are going to come in and swoop us like, do the right thing.
3: I no, I, I'm, I'm praying. I, I keep, I'm, anytime yeah. I can talk to young people, I'm like, this one is y'all. You you are the balance on this. You get to yeah. tip the scale.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm rooting for the millennials. And I think the millennials who, uh, I think, and obviously, the uh, you know, one, I had heard that Bernie is a little concerned with Biden. Wants Biden to focus more on millennials and more on the issues and mm. uh, to really galvanize that vote. And I think if that hey. happens, everything yeah. will be okay. With yeah. that, said, yeah. let's hope- get Let's get into an origin story. Uh, AJ, how did you, how'd you get involved in theater? When did you, Where were you born raised, oh, and raised
1: up? Origin story. So I am originally from Louisiana,
2: wow.
1: North Louisiana. I um, was luckily enough to be raised in a household that was very artistic. My um, family were all singers, <clears throat> excuse me, were all mm. singers. Um, my uncles and aunties were in a gospel group called Adoration Gospel Ministries. That mm throughout the south um singing songs um singing and, and ministering. so um that so i started off singing a lot and, and then we also had a cousin of um, our cousins got together and created junior adoration so we were the young babies who were opening up for the uncles and aunties uh, we would do like an opening number and then they would come in and follow us so i grew up singing uh, but also my mom is okay. an, as an as an theater artists as well. So she is a writer, a playwright, oh, is uh-huh. a director, and she's an actor. And my auntie is also um, an actor as well as a um, dancer. And so I grew up uh, in a community that was doing shows. They were doing a lot of theater together. Mm-hmm. So I will remember being five years old, four, year, four years old, five years old, six years old, sitting in the rehearsal rooms uh, of, of my family as they we're rehearsing plays <laughs> uh-huh. when I was around um, when I moved into middle school or so um, I was in, sh- in sixth grade. I was in show choir because I was kind of was very much all singing and dancing mostly before I was right. um, thinking about acting. And uh-huh. then we did a show choir, did a production of Greece, um, which I was cast as Danny uh-huh. and I was, from there, I was um, tested into what we call the gifted and talented program in Louisiana and I, in theater. So I became a theater artist um, training at then, at that point. And so I did that all throughout my middle school and high school career. I went to performing arts schools, um, but I also was very interested in math and science, so I wasn't sure what, what I was going to do. Mm. So, um, and dance. So I went to, so I did that all throughout school, um, high school and middle school, went to Wake Forest University to study, um, um, neuropsychology. Oh, and, um, wow, wow. And dance. Yeah. So I like did neuropsychology work and then I did dance, um, with, and our dance was primarily focused on dance theater. And so I was also like thrown into the theater community of my university. So I, it just never, I never got rid of it because <laughs> I thought I would go to college and do my sciences and uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it never left me. And so um,
3: did, you, did you try to get away from it at any point?
1: I did. I did. I, when I was, um, when I was transitioning into college, I thought that I would not do it anymore. I uh-huh. thought I would say, you know, I'm, I'm done with that. Um, and I'm going to focus on sciences. But then it came back in college. And then when I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do, um, you know, environmental science and just do science, do, do behavior change work, because I was really interested in mirror neurons and the power of behavior change through mirror neurons. Wow. Going to do that and focus on and that go, and go into master's for neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it just kept calling me back. The performance of it kept calling me back. And um, because I felt like I had, you know, we had a lot to say. And I also was a part of Jacob's Pillow Dance uh-huh which is this um summer long work where we see you know seven to nine dance companies a week and they're coming in doing this incredible work and i saw this production of a um, work by lucy garan company who was based out of australia and they did a piece about um the collapsing of one of their major bridges that kind of it was this it was one of a national tragedy that killed a lot of people Uh Um, and they were using these building blocks and they were doing this movement and they were doing this dialogue um, and it was theater dance architecture science uh, physics all combined together and i was like that's it that's what i want my life to be um to like be able to to have all this intersectionality of, of ideas combined together so um yeah so then i moved to the bay area um what I, in dc i did work in new york i did work in um, north carolina um uh, and i came back and i was like what am i gonna do
3: next um and i came to san francisco and um Good question though um, just before we get to san francisco <clears throat> you yeah you mentioned cousins do you have siblings i do have siblings are they involved in the arts as well
1: so they are they are um they play, the, they play instruments. So they were all um, in the band. So my brother, my older brother, um, played basically every brass instrument possible. And my older sister played every woodwind. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so, and they also are singers as well. And so, yeah, but, um, and my mom, you know, and so and my dad plays the piano. I mean, it's just all this kind of and art <clears throat> surrounding me, uh, but it was all very much so rooted in the church. So in the Baptist church sure. um, at the time. But, what brought you to San Fran? So, um, gosh, I was like, I had a friend. Uh, oh, I have a friend who um, name is Madison, and she broke her leg, and was in Mississippi. She broke her leg, and her doctor would not let her travel uh-huh. to the Bay because um, of the air pressure. Right. Um, and so she was like, "Hey, I have a room and." the Richmond district that I'm not paying for, oh, that I'm paying for right now, and but no one's there. Do you want to go and stay there just for a minute to see what's going on? And I was like, uh, sure. Oh. <laughs> so I came, that was not about nine years ago, I believe, at this point. 2010? Oh. 2010? Uh-uh. Yeah, uh, 2011.
2: Okay.
1: What'd you find? Um, and it was incredible. I, I, um, I got, I got work right away. I was working, um, I w- started working with Man Dance Company. Like the first week or so I got here, I auditioned for a dance company, oh. Man um, Dance, and I danced with them for a while. And then um, I was working as a stylist at Anthropology um, in downtown of San Francisco. Uh-huh. Uh, about six months later, I... Was I was you know applying for a lot of things and I got an interview with the Department of the Environment in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I started um, and I got the, booked the gig, got the job. Right. So, uh, so I quit anthropology and then I started auditioning, just auditioning around. And in 2012, I auditioned for Berkeley Play. Well, no, I actually auditioned for a show um, at SF Playhouse
2: uh-huh.
1: before they moved to their. Um, to oh, the, yeah. When they were over on. Um, <clears throat> Where where custom made is now, uh, <clears throat> um, and they were doing Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson, and, and at the time, and I auditioned for John Tracy. Uh-huh.
0: Was was uh, Tom Riley in that?
1: Um, I I actually I wasn't cast, so oh, I not Okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I auditioned for that, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't cast. But John Tracy called me in for Guys and Dolls that he was doing in at Berkeley Playhouse. Oh. <gasps> Uh huh. I ended up getting booking the book, Berkeley Playhouse, Guys and Dolls, and that's what kind of started.
3: What what did you? Who were you in Guys and Dolls?
1: Oh my! I was one of the gangsters whose name I cannot remember at this time. Oh okay. (laughs) Um, But before that, I I have to actually give a shout out because I actually skipped the part. Before that, Mm -hmm. I I, before I started that, I actually was doing a lot of um, ensemble theater work, and I was working with Wing Company so i was able to do two shows with the Ragged wing ensemble sure over
3: here in oakland
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and i so my first show i think i did with them was at the live oak park and i played this um murderous dictator huh. that's into the lake and i had to go into the lake and sing a song and mm. and i was like yes theater in the bay area i want to be out in nature and rolling around in mud <laughs> actually it was my first gig in the mm-hmm. Uh, but bef- but then I started. Um, be- I became a, a member of the the um, Berkeley Playhouse family, mm-hmm. um, and from there I just have kept going. And um, now I am uh, mostly I mostly am directing and choreographing these days. Um, every yeah, day I,
3: yeah uh, we did a we did a workshop with uh, Word for Word, right? Word for work, yeah, we did. And we did. that show ended up going to France, and they said mm-hmm. no. AJ said he can't go, and I was like, yeah, what? <laughs>
2: yeah
1: i could go i had um yes i had i, I was i started my job I, yeah like, i assume that's the teaching yeah the teaching yeah but it also was also I was, i'm not really acting as much anymore but um i am working a lot with idris cooper and a full who um you yeah. know very well and um i'm not sure if you know Idris as well but um she's Bravo brava theater company Bravo theater company she is my um uh, she is like a mother to me, and a sister, and an auntie, and a friend. I mean, she's like all, she's come up to all those roles. Yeah, uh, she's amazing,
3: amazing collaborator. A co- amazing you're, you're collaborator.
0: Also, you're also doing a lot of work with uh, Theodore
1: Rhino. You you direct. And I, yeah, uh, and I'm doing mm-hmm. Sister Act. You did Sister Act. Uh, yeah, Sister Act. Oh, really? uh, uh, Wow. Yep. Yeah, I directed the choreographed Sister Act for them. I did um, uh, Pris- uh, Priscilla Queen of the Deserts choreography. Mm-hmm. Um, plays with them yeah so it's been great to kind of bring a black um black queer lens to the rhino as well uh, yeah. a place where i think you know we have two major um queer theaters in the bay and these just are just are, that are strictly theater there are so many companies that are doing performative artwork sure. queer but um you know we think about um on kind of the the strict theater we think about nctc and we think about yep. the- right as those kind of two and you've
3: been there too yes i've been at
1: nctc as well yes Uh, but what i what i have loved to find as i you know continue to be in the bay is how much black and bi plc black indigenous plc um theater queer theater that's happening in the bay that is confined to these kind of um traditional spaces but that are like pop-up companies, and they're doing work outdoors, and they're doing works in, um, you know, all downtown stuff, just going in Oakland over here. So it's it's um, great to be a part of those. Um, but yeah, uh, John Fisher and Theater Rhino. John Fisher, um, I think, actually, is the one who gave me... Um, maybe the one who gave me my first directing gig Oh, uh, main stage production
2: mm-hmm.
1: area. Um, yeah,
0: okay. I did... <clears throat> I was just going to say, uh, we had John Fisher on. I was a little worried that John Fisher would be too much into himself, but I'm so glad mm-hmm. that he gave the reins to you as far as directing and giving you the opportunity. So can you talk yeah. more about that?
2: Yeah,
1: I think that, um, um, you know, I, I, as a queer person, have had to learn what that meant. What does it mean to be queer um, in 2020? And how do you like kind of live in that joy and how do you demand space in those places? And, yes. and I think that um, initially, John has a lot of you know. I I won't get into it's um, <laughs> a lot of that, but but John does have a reputation um, in that his that, that theater right now is often featuring a lot of like white voices, a lot of uh, white yeah. actors. And, well, and that's and, uh, that's and white been narrators. true historically. And there's also, yeah. Yeah, historically, and um, I will say that it has been great opportunity for me to um, jump in, um, and also with Ellie, who is um, this incredible um, Asian API artist, queer artist, um, and and producer who was doing who's on who's currently on the board at Theater Rhino as well. Has been doing a lot of work. He's the one who um, has been talking a lot about the. Um, uh, what is it called? The, 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 live document in which, um, Oh, living document. Oh, yes. oh, Eli, Eli. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Eli, yeah. So, that.
1: yeah. Yeah. He has been, um, kind of really the lead leading that effort, but also he is a board member of theater rhinoceros who has been leading the efforts and in, in, in those conversations about how do we, um, honor the BIPOC BIPOC queer experience at the Rhino as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, right now, um, it is it, not that, and that's just within the queer community in general. That we often have a lot of spaces that are very, very, very white. Yep, and that really dismisses a lot of Black and Indigenous and Latin um, uh, Latinx voices. And in fact, there is a cultural coalition right now that's joining about in, within the Castro that is really putting a lens on how um, how dismissive. Mm-hmm has been to um, Black and Indigenous and queer people, uh, Black, Indigenous and Latinx queer people. Yeah. What is this coalition? Uh, it is the Castro, the Queer Castro Coalition, and it's being, it's um, being led by um, several uh, Black and, uh, BIPOC, um, mm-hmm. queens, uh, you know, drag queens in the Bay, uh-huh. kind of. Putting to task all the owners of all these clubs in the Castro, and they're saying like, "Come on, like you need to figure it out." Um, right, We're, way past time. Yes, <laughs> it's way past time. So that's happening right now as well. So I think it's kind of now is the time for queer spaces to really consider how they're honoring VIPOC folk, mm-hmm. and because to be honest, right, thinking about history again, when you think about the rights of queer people in this country, it has been led by queer, femme, black, and Latinx and indigenous people. It really, right. like, they have the first stone thrown at Stonewall was a black, <laughs> like, transgender woman, right? Uh-huh. Coffee thrown at Compton's Cafeteria in San Francisco was a Latinx person. The You know, it's like, you just think about, like, what actually has happened and what has led to the... Right the powers Uh, and of course we have you know of course our um, you know white queer folks have been a part of that not dismissing their power that's what they have done but but when we talk about who has been the angriest who has started riots and the the revolutions um, and who and then (laughs) has been like folks of color like and that's across all kind of sexualities but particularly within the queer community
3: well what I love about it is it's not just about identity but it, as you said earlier, it's about that history and knowing your history. Mm-hmm. Too many times we hear about this history and something happened and then they identify somebody, but they don't go back to the root. They they kind of, something happened and then this person stepped up and you're like, well, wait a minute. Right. What was this? What else? What was it?
1: What was that?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it something that happened. Yeah. And, and exactly. so it's exciting I- because you can take these stories that people already know mm-hmm. and say, well, but did you know this part?
1: Yeah. Exactly. And that's so, what's so exciting about what's happening right now culturally that I'm really um, excited to see and hear. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, I think that everyone um, who I have spoken to who are part mm-hmm. of communities, particularly like white um, allies and advocates, are really ready for this work. Um, yes. I will say this. Um, and this may be a little controversial, so. That's okay. We're ready for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I am currently, I've been getting a lot of emails um, and, uh, and asks for, let's have a meeting. I want you to be on my diversity committee. I want you to be on this committee and that, right.
2: And that committee. Right.
1: And, and I am very um, honored and grateful that um, folks see my voice as an as one that um, could help inspire some change right now yeah uh, but i but i do, will say this um in five years ago I, four years ago five years ago i started waving these flags of like what is going on in the Bay Area theater yep. now. and um and i started saying and i said something uh online and i said i will no longer be attending any production that is an all-white cast for no reason yep. so, do it and i and on that and on that post, there was all these folks who are my friends, who I love, who um, who will say, "Oh, it's just so hard to cast. Like, well, it's not our fault. No one's coming out to the auditions." I <laughs> and so I'm seeing all these things, right? Right. And, and so I was like, and, but then because I was so firm about not not doing this and not coming out to these auditions and not coming out to, like, I'm not going to auditions that then fool it. The full creative team is white. I'm not coming out for companies that all their uh, administration is white, and I'm mm-hmm. being in shows where I'm the only black person in the in the company. Like I- in the
3: room, in the in the whole room, facility.
1: In yeah. the yeah. room, whole facility. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, it became well. Well, we're not inviting. Like then, I became kind of back blacklisted a little bit, and yeah. a bit of like, oh, well, don't call. Oh, well, Asia's not interested, and so. But now it's like, oh, Asia let like, come in and let's talk about it, but. The thing for me is, um, I'm happy that they're doing this work. Like those companies that are historically white institutions, and they're doing the work. Great, do that work. Yeah. But what I'm interested in right now is uplifting Black, like specifically Black voices in the in theater companies right now.
3: Yeah.
2: And
1: they're not interested in knocking on doors and saying, "Hey, what about us? I want to sit at your table." It's like, no. I'm I'm interested in building whole new tables and building whole new facilities. I'm in kind of asking because like there's a lot of questions like what can we do to make sure it's like i actually am not interested in talking about that right now what i'm interested in saying is how can we support folks like lorraine hansbury theater right? right how can we support you know african american Shakespeare theater how can we support ubuntu theater which i think is called something else now uh,
3: oakland theater
1: project oakland theater project yeah how can we support like these uh, uh, um you know these companies that have all have been that black, made the commitment, been doing the work. Been doing the work. Like Black artists, Temporary Cultural Experience, um, being yes. that Aegis has that I'm a part of, that Aegis is leading. Like there are so many companies already, and this is like this is like a handful. That, like I just like spit out like a handful of companies. There are dozens and dozens of companies in the Bay Area that have yep. already been doing this work that's been led by black and queer and indigenous and Latinx and Asian and Pacific Islander people mm-hmm. and already like been breaking these boundaries for years yep. and, and not worried about the status quo. And they have been underfunded. They've been pushed out of rooms. They've been under yep. considered. Um, and, and they and also many of these companies have been working with um, equity actors as well. They yep. have equity actors for their work and their time. Yep. When, when many com- other companies who are like now starting to do the work won't even hire maybe one, two, three yep
0: contracts in a season. You know, we we were talking, we talked about this, I think either last week or the week before last about companies. There's so many companies and I feel that there may be a competition because every company wants everyone to, Hey, come to our show, come see what we're doing. And it sort of pushes other companies out of the way, but Mm -hmm. also a question that I had for you, AJ, uh, and it's something Radhika Rao talked about before she Radhika Rao. I think you may know her. She's an Indian um, actress and director. And she's talked about how she gets the phone call or the email saying, oh, we need someone of color to be in the room with us so that, you know, we can diversify what we're doing as if she were the token person. And it's very, very
1: insulting. And I'm sure you felt that way as well.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so it, it is insulting. But also, um, you know, I just I find so many brilliant people in the Bay Area that surround me. Mm-hmm. Right. I think about, uh, I'm gonna just say some names right now, and call them into the space, who have been kind of doing this work alongside myself um, and kind of my generation since you know, since I got here. And I think about people like Tiara Allen, who is this incredible yeah. artist and actress um, and thinker. Uh, I think about Jacqueline Dennis. I think about Melissa Martinez. I think about, um, you know, th- these are names that um, Anthony, Anthony Jackson, Um, Phaedra Tillery, like I think about these names, Mm -hmm. Um, Davis, who's now the artistic Director of BACT, um, Bay Area Children's Theater, who have been doing this work forever and being pushed to the side and not being seen and not being honored. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that there are all these voices that are here, that have been here, that have been raising the flags. Um, Right. Um, who are in you know who are in their thirties or um, early forties and or late thirties early forties um, who have been who has been doing this work and um, and so um william Hosgens right and so uh-huh. I, right um, there is no real need for you to be so for folks to be so desperate for voices in their spaces
3: right because they're
1: already there yeah. It's, like, it's 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 um it's a and it's a insulting too because i ask myself um why why not just like why am i there to support a director a white director directing a black show versus just having a black director direct that black show right like why am i there to like help facilitate cultural conversation when the entire team should simply be representative of that of the production you're doing like right not it is it, is not difficult right i and i and what's really frustrating to me is that and and i don't i would say insulting i would say more so and frustrating to me yeah frustrating to me is that that many people are pretending as though they don't know anyone
3: right well right they're yeah. not somehow they're so used to looking at it in another way they don't realize right. who's already there this is why i was hoping we would have you on um, because Well, because it's easy to complain about what isn't happening, it's much more difficult to talk about being engaged in the conversation and trying to help shape what that conversation is, instead of waiting for somebody to be ready. Because I, as a young person, I always was thinking, the Bay Area theater scene needs to do this, the Bay Area theater scene needs to be this, mm-hmm. and everybody needs to be doing this, and realizing I was trying to fight a whole system. And I feel like you come at it more from that place of these people are doing it. These people are engaged. These people are already having that conversation. So yeah. all you have to do is look at what is happening. Yeah. If you want, if you're serious about making these changes, mm-hmm. here it is, it's already here and you just need to plug into it. Absolutely. And
1: I think, and I, I 100% agree. And, and one of the things that um, I'm committed to is education, is arts education, um, and in a way that shows that when my, our students leave, and I, I'm just going to like, I, I mean, our students are brilliant, and I love them so much. And mm-hmm. I want to say that they leave our institution having read um, artists of, so many artists of color, so many artists of different genders and, right. and, 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 and ideas. And then also they read, you know, what is considered the classics as well. The, sure. So, and they're also creating their own work. Right. And so, so for me, it's like, I am not interested necessarily in what these, like, it's like, I'm interested in the companies that are doing the work. I'm, I'm here for you. But I'm also interested in saying our students are going to leave our program and they're going to change the world. Of, right. They're going to change the world. Of art. So in like, you know, 15, 10, five years, these competitions won't even need to be happening because our, the kids, the, the youth will be saying this is ridiculous. The youth will be saying it. They'll right. be saying, I am a 22 year old and I do not want to do, um, meet me in St. Louis one more time. Yeah, right. So yeah. you know? they're like, I'm not doing it. So, so they're going to be, changing. unless
3: you're going to show me a St. Louis that actually was the St. Louis of that, period.
1: of that period. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Unless you're going to actually do that work, but I'm, you know, they're not interested. And so I think that, um, that's a part of, that's really a part of my, my, Hope and job right now is to make sure that the young voices are there. And one of the things I really hope that these that companies across the Bay Area are doing, mm-hmm. looking at the educational program. Oh yes, doing is if all you're doing is um, a production of of you know Romeo and Juliet and teaching students how to do that, then you're not doing the work. If all you're doing is um, another production of you know, you know, even Eugene O'Neill, right? If you're of all your right. doing is the classics, if all you're doing is the white Eurocentric classics, then you need to you need to fix it because that. Yeah, and,
3: and there are ways to do that. You let, don't give me a multicultural whiz or right. um, once on this island, right? Without really understanding what those stories are, where they're rooted, right? I, I'm not opposed to you mixing it up. You need to really be thoughtful about what you're doing. What you're doing, absolutely.
1: I remember seeing, (laughs) you just brought up, sorry, Nor. you just brought up What's on this Island. And I remember in Louisiana seeing a production of What's on this Island when I was maybe 20 years old, Mm 1920. And um, it was, they were like, well, we're going to have all, like, one tribe is going to be all blonde people. And the other tribe's gonna be brunette people. <laughs> and we're just gonna and we're gonna talk about how, like, you know, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be prejudiced against uh, different
3: actors. Right. And I was like, <laughs> I am floored that you think that's, that's right. That was what you took away from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and that and that their Tim Moon saying literally white, red-haired. Saying skin is black as night, (laughs) (laughs) my eyeballs. I almost thought I was gonna vomit. My eyeballs rolled to the back of my head, and I was like, "What is happening?" (laughs) I have a quick question for both of you. Do you
0: think, just psychologically thinking, some of these um, artistic directors or who are in control, maybe they just don't? You know, there's some folks who want to connect with me as a black man but they don't know how to talk to me as a black man. They don't know. I mean, they, they just don't even know how to have the conversation. Maybe their heart's into it like, well, oh.
3: I mean, that's their truth. They need to own that's where they're speaking from.
0: Yeah. Okay. But do you find that
1: to be true, AJ? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's my actually thing. Um, I think that there is a lot of, um, I was actually talking about this this weekend around power, mm and desire for it and the um, craving for it and i was watching this new tv show called um love lovecraft county lovecraft
2: oh county? yeah oh right
1: That's yeah
0: rave you know, reviews yeah go ahead
1: yeah and there was this um there was this moment in one of the episodes and it's not this is not a spoiler but um one of the characters says i've never seen speaking about um um white settlers within mm-hmm. in, there was uh, a colonizers and it was an indigenous um, two-spirit that said, I've never seen a human with so much hunger and feed and feed and feed and never satiated. Mm -hmm. And I think about this kind of like desire to just feed and feed and feed and never be satiated that happened in the theater community as well. And um, I mean, and of course, as artists, we are like a little bit narcissistic, right? we like, I mean, that's who we are as artists a little bit when we are on stage and wanting to be seen and applauded. But but, but you have to kind of remove yourself from that idea of narcissism and really think about what, who is your community and who you're serving? What do you want them to see? Right. And I've been reading a lot about, um, I've been reading actually a lot of um, Ed Bolin's oh. work. Uh-huh. Now, and I, and I think about the Lafayette Theater that happened in the 1960s and 70s, and so much of um, Ed Bullins and that kind of community work was around, Was they would say, if the people outside of my doors, if the people outside of my theater doors can, do, do not feel comfortable coming inside of my theater doors, mm-hmm. doing the wrong work. Right. So... I think about that every time I go to San Francisco, well, when I used to go to San Francisco, and I would see the SHN, and I would see the amount of, um, you know, addiction, drug addiction and poverty that's outside of those right doors.
3: Right outside the door, yeah. Right
1: outside those doors, and they're not allowed in that space, and I'm like, well, you're doing the wrong work. Yep. I think that what is happening, Bridge, with some of these artistic directors is that they have been in the academy. Yep. They have studied the greats. And they have read the reviews and seen the, um, you know, the the Harvard review and this review and that review, and they've gone to the TCG conferences for the last twenty five years, and they are so proud of their knowledge, of their knowledge, what they see and what they know, right? Not really willing to do the work of seeing what the people outside their doors know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What is that person who's sitting right there on that bench? no well said yeah and what what is the academy missing because it's missing a damn lot Mm -hmm. the academy is missing so much so the issue so i think it's not so it it, it is they don't want to lose their power right they don't want to they don't want to say that they're ignorant right because the academy awards education it awards knowing everything and i'm from the like i I lived in the Academy, right? I've always loved the Academy and, mm-hmm. um, and I've loved learning in the Academy, but what happens in the Academy is that you're just constantly applauded for how much you've, you've read. Right. What you've experienced. Right. And so I think that, um, so, yes, yeah, so I think that a lot of it is around, well, I know the grades, I know what is happening where I'm sure. not really looking out the door and saying what's happening there. What's great about that. Right. So yeah, so I, that's what I think is happening in in that sense. And I know for me, um, there are artistic directors who have come up to me and they've asked, "Well, what kind of work are you interested? In, or are you interested in doing?" Right. So I love those conversations. Um, but I also know that there's a fear there, right? They're worried that their audience is like, "Oh, we can't do that yet." Our audience is too. It's mm-hmm. like, take your audience, right? Are you need to change the expectation of your audience? But also, not only that, I don't always agree with them. That their audience isn't ready for it, right? Because I, I think it actually is a little bit um, offensive to the audience. Like I, I mean, if I was an audience member, I'll be offended. How dare you tell me what I'm ready and what not and what I'm not ready for? How do you know? Right. Right. Um. And yeah, and I say that um, yeah, because it's, it it we don't know what our audiences are ready for. And I did a production. Um. And I'll say this real quickly before we go to the next question, um, or topic. I did a production three years ago of Maurisol by Jose Rivera. Yeah. Which is this brilliant work, um, uh, magical realism oh, yeah. that, that focuses on um, the idea that a that God, a God, a power structure is now senile and that a legion of angels needs to rise up to defeat the senile God. <clears throat> right. I did it with at, at Coco Spike at, at the school and Everyone was like, oh my God, this is so intense. It's like there's mm-hmm. language, It's so much destruction. It's, oh, this is not, no one's going to come. This is going to be horrible. What are you doing? What's your choice? Every night was sold out.
2: Yay! Right.
1: We had to like turn, we had to get people in standing room or like sometimes turn student, folks away because they were like, what is this magic?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were there to see the students. And I only, right. and it's not to praise myself because it wasn't, it, it's not that, but it really is to say that we never know what's going to intrigue an audience. Right. Um, and But we trust, like we read the work, we see if there's something in, in that work that feels inspiring, that feels like it's, it's important now. Yeah. Do it. And we figure it out. And then we don't care about the audience. Right. Right. Because the audience will be there if you're speaking to the zeitgeist of the now.
3: oh oh, very much i i want to touch on that um marisol is so this anniversary this september 11th anniversary Mm -hmm. uh, my day that day i woke up that morning i had a rehearsal with word for word Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i lived in oakland so i had to get to the city i get over there and they tell me they tried to call my back when we had home house phones (laughs) they tried (laughs) to call my landline couldn't get through um to tell me that rehearsal was canceled because of what was going on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I spend my day trying to catch up on what's going on. But I have a rehearsal scheduled for that night. We are doing, we're scheduled to begin rehearsals for a reading of a new play by an immigrant playwright. Mm. About the immigration system. A very strong critique of the immigration system. I've got all these women of color who are going to represent these women locked up in a in a holding facility. And before I get there, I get a phone call from the playwright saying, my lawyer, I'm supposed to go to immigration court next month. And my lawyer is telling me I cannot draw this attention right now. So I have to pull my play. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Mm. So I go to the theater and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, Marisol. I'm like, Mm. I'm going to do Marisol. I can throw a bunch of women of color in that. That'll work. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we ended up doing. And yeah, I don't know. All these people came up to us afterwards saying, thank you. This is what we needed to see right now. And I was like, okay, I'm glad that you liked it. I really grabbed it as just a, this is something where I can speak to the zeitgeist. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the times are crazy. We don't know what's going on and we feel like doom is coming at us. I remember when I first saw the play, Sitting there, exactly the attitude you said. I'm like, what is this going to be? I don't know if you know the history of the play, but uh, that play was scheduled to hit New York same year, same season as um, Angels in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's his name? Um, is it George C. Wolf? Uh, the who was running the um, the uh, San Francisco? Uh, not San Francisco. The New York Public. Okay, yeah, the Public. Yeah. Uh, who created a color museum. Right, right, Darcy Wolfe. Darcy Um was a director at that point, and he was mm. slated to do Marisol, mm. and they asked him about Angels in America, and he kind of put Marisol on the shelf. Wow. And it's so funny because, yes, these plays speak to these big themes, mm-hmm. what, but one is a very small play, and one is a huge play, but the impact they have on the audience is Explosive. Explosive. So being able to do that, I feel like the conversation could go on forever, but I also see we're getting at that point where we should start to wrap. And I want to say a couple of things, and I'll I'll let you in, Rich, but um, talking about that future and how education is going to tap in, but also never losing sight of that voice that you have, that you want to bring to the work that you do. I really think more than ever, we don't know what the future is going to be, but I don't think there's ever been more opportunity for that than we are now.
0: Yeah. No, you said an awful lot, AJ, and I totally, totally agree. And as an audience member and as an actor, you get so frustrated walking into a theater or being handed a script, even if you're getting paid, but it's the same old story. You want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. You want to be like, wow, what the hell is going on here? Mm -hmm. And as a writer, I mean, I'm I'm a budding writer now, and I have a lot of thoughts that are, it may be controversial and it will challenge the audience, but... It's my voice and I want it to be heard and I think there are a lot of uh, people who feel the exact same way And there's an audience who are like hey, we're tired of the that's one of the reasons why Lovecraft County has gotten You know such rave reviews. I mean Mm -hmm. you want to see something that challenges us that rocks us Of course there are audience members that want to see. Hey, I want to see Annie get your gun I want to see carousel give me my usual stuff. Well, that's Mm -hmm. fine, but there's a newer audience members who want to be challenged who should who need to be challenged
3: if we 're going to get new audience yeah yeah, yeah yeah,
1: I, yeah, I agree, and also um <clears throat> you know, I think about this from a <clears throat> excuse me for a student point of view too, in that many times my students come to the program and they 're like, "I want to be a Broadway actress, and I only want to do Broadway musicals, right." <laughs> We don't really train, we don't, like, our program isn't really set up to train in broad and, like, dance, voice, and and acting in that way. But we focus primarily on on, um, dramatic text and comedic, you know, non-musical theater text, uh, even though we do some voice work. But it's so interesting because by the end of their time there, they're like, oh, give me what? can you tell me another play about this playwright? or Can we, can we talk to a little bit more about this playwright? Or I wanna see this show, right? Yeah, Those are wonderful moments, yeah. It's wonderful moments, but I say that only because the folks who say, oh, give me my Annie Get Your Gun, or give me my carousel, I often question, is it because they only wanna see that? Or is it because it's the only thing they know, right? Like, do they only know right. those Do they only know that canon? And it's our job as artists as, as creators, to help expand the, the cultural zeitgeist right. of the community,
3: right? Because that doesn't give you Hamilton, right? Those exactly. shows don't give you Hamilton,
1: right? So we have to we have to keep pushing our audiences to explore more ideas, um, you know. And 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 I think it is um, we have to move remove that from the ideas of kind of capitalist uh, ideas of well, are we going to make a box office, right? At the end of the day, if it's strong theater, if it is doing the work, it will bring in the audiences. Yeah. will like, just do the work. And also, it doesn't doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, the work is the work. And it's important to do the work. So, either way, I mean, we could talk about how, like, yes, you do need money, you do need box office, you have to fund yourself. But also, you have to try to tell some truths that are really important to you with your company as well.
0: Where do you see yourself in the future AJ? Do you want to, it sounds like you're, you're directing is the path for you right now. I mean, do you, where do you see yourself 5 10 years from now?
3: I say, see Center Rep has an opening.
1: <laughs> right. I um you know, I right now I am I see myself doing the work of training. I want a um a large scale school of art in the Bay Area. That is not necessarily ACT, um, but that is um, that is something com- comparable to ACT. Uh, and I really would love. This is what I actually would love. I would love to do to have. Uh, there's supposed to be a uh, outdoor theater open. Mm-hmm. Really, a new one opening in uh, Walnut Creek pretty soon. Oh, next five years or so. Uh huh. And what I would love to do is have a uh, summer rep. Um, in the Bay where uh, in the Walnut Creek area that right. is connected to schools so that high school students are able to do professional shows with professionals in the industry. Right. I'm a rep that is like that. Um, so that there's a lot of this, uh, I think about like hope summer repertory that's connected to the university. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I want that on a high school level. I want them to be able to like connect with artists, adult artists, in the field have a full summer season and work with high school students as they are creating shows
3: yeah the the population is totally there for yeah
1: that's what that's what i would love Uh, a summer rep that kind of helps train students with uh equity uh actors
2: yeah
3: heaven
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome. All righty, we can go on and on and on. I mean, I have so many questions, but we are, I think we're about an hour and a half. We're having so much
3: fun. (laughs) I know, I know, we're at that time.
0: Yeah, Uh, shout outs, birthdays.
3: Birthdays, Trevor Allen's birthday is today. He's a playwright up in the uh, North Bay is where he lives, but um. He does, he does wonderful work. He's got a couple of shows that people might have heard of. He does Frankenstein, uh, did it with Jimmy Carpenter, and they've done it a number of times. I think they finally got it on film. Um, and he does a solo piece, his own piece, uh, Working for the Mouse, mm. <laughs> um, which you can find in bookstores. That's very cool. Uh, Michelle Cordero Myers is an actress I worked with on Once on this Island at the nice. Willows Theater in Concord back when there was a theater in Concord. <laughs> Uh, Josh Pollock is somebody I went to uh, college, uh, San Francisco State, with. Um, and we kind of lose track of each other every now and then. But uh, a couple of years ago, I went to see a show at Shotgun. And he was the, in the, um, they, it was a musical, there was a pit. He was the percussionist. He was amazing. Um, uh, black writer. It was an amazing piece, and then uh, they did this other piece over at the. Uh, I always think of it as the um, Theater Arteau, but it's now the Z Space. Um, Breathless, and he was the guitarist and lead male lead in that. And I was like, damn! It was funny because I was doing one down in Z below, and he was doing that upstairs. So we were bumping into each other. His birthday's today. Uh, birthday's coming up this week. Uh, Geez, is that a short week? It surely is. Hallelujah. Uh, Andrew Nance, who I'm not sure if he's still at NCTC, but he was there for a long time. And Champagne Hughes, uh, her birthday's coming up Friday. And I met her when she was coming out of Laney, and now she's working all over the Bay. Oh my goodness. And next Sunday. Well, I'll let Reg talk about that one. <laughs> Are you done? Yep. Oh, no, as wow. I, I said, I've got a really short list this week. <laughs>
0: Uh, ironically, I have a very long list. Okay, so I'm not going to mention any birthday that has passed, but on Monday, I'm surprised you didn't mention this, Abby Rome. He... i leave you some. Uh, okay, his birthday will be on Monday, and of course, Abby and I, we did Before the Dream, directed by Norman G. Uh, I'm not sure what Abby's doing these
3: days. Uh, I guess... He directs some. I, I haven't heard anything recently, but he's still he acts and he still directs.
0: All right. And on Wednesday, Rajiv Vijay Kamur, who was uh, the guy who built our sets for uh, Four Men in oh, Paris.
3: No, I feel bad. I should have had Rajiv's name. I didn't.
0: Yeah, Rajiv. Yeah, well, i got to get him on because he did such a fantastic job. And, if you've got
3: uh, contact him for, for him, please.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I did send uh, something out, but I'm not sure what he's doing these days. Okay. In any case, his birthday is Wednesday. Very, very talented. I believe he's an actor. He's a singer. He was in In the Heights for Plethos. Oh. He's a set builder. Um... I have Lindsay Freeman I'm not sure cat cat downs cat downs is a piano player who uh I think she was also I think I worked with her I want to say oh shucks um I I can't think of uh I I think it was um the the um
3: Just look (laughs) at the wall behind you. It's one
0: of those. No, no, no. The dark room. The dark room theater. Ah, Uh, uh, (laughs) Which is not on there. Okay. So her birthday is Thursday. On Friday, Brandon Campanile, and he and I did Godspell. He was Jesus, and uh, he did a fantastic job. And working with them, Brandon. His birthday is on Friday, and on Sunday, we have
1: AJ. Yeah. Sunday. so happy
0: you
2: Easter got big Christmas
1: plans day. oh yeah no um probably
3: well we'll see how the sky is We'll see how. The yes sky is. <laughs> right
1: any
0: shows you want to uh advertise
3: uh for uh, me I, all i've got is hamlet's ghost which is uh it's coming up the 25th and 26th Then if you don't have it i've got the i sent you the uh the it's the same link from last week
0: okay i'll just recycle that i've got two things um
3: and Central AJ, Works. you've got some shout outs. Get them ready. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> I only have two. Um, Central Works, uh, they're, cel- they're celebrating their 30th season. Uh, this I didn't even realize that. Um, but they're doing an audio play, Bystanders, uh, mm-hmm. which will be opening on the 14th, which is, I believe, two days from now. Yeah, Monday. October 20th. And I will send the link. Also, Pletos Productions is doing the thing called Joke Toberfest. Uh, I believe it's right. a, a stand up comedy. Uh, which will be done via Zoom, and that'll be on October the third, and I have a link to that as well. And uh, that's all that I have. Uh, AJ, you have anything going on?
1: Oh gosh, I have been such a voyeur these days. I'm just enjoying my watching and looking at so much theater and art and drag shows happening in the Bay. So I'm I'm happy to hear about these. Myself, I'm just hyper focused on the school right now. So I
3: bet. Jeez, you're doing it. Are you doing it live or or Zoom? We're doing Zoom.
1: We We have a lot of classes. But, I bet. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to hear more about what's going on. I'm loving seeing all these performances keep going um, during the time of COVID. And that's my shout outs for the day.
3: Hi. Well, I got one I want to tease you with. Um, have you heard of William Dorset Swan? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get more information. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Because, no, because Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page, just all the uh, references are cited are all 2020. And I'm like, come on, y'all. Y'all got to have something. Great.
1: Well, I don't have much more than that, but I will do my research and get back to you.
3: Uh, it's just, it's exciting because uh, Drag Queen uh, post Civil War, um, mm-hmm. black drag queen in mm-hmm. D.C., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, uh, is this.
0: I think I've seen a picture of him. I've seen a picture yes. of him with The a pictures are going
3: around, and I'm like, come on, right. y'all, if, if this is historical, I really want it, and if it's not, thank you for fucking with me, because... <laughs> no, because we need to, you know, anytime you try to tell gay history past a certain point, people are like, well, what are you talking about? And like, right. do not realize? I mean, if, you know, you say Adam and Steve, we don't know who Adam was with after he left Eve. We don't know.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the history is, uh, of course, um, I mean, and you you hear about kings, and you know, even in, within the Tudor period or whatever, who've had all the
3: way through Roman, yeah, Egyptian, come yeah, on, Rome,
0: that's right, exactly, yeah. So it's um, it's one of those histories that you know needs to be unearthed. In Any case, um, well, you know, uh, AJ, did you enjoy yourself?
1: I did what a great conversation we <laughs> <laughs> we had. It was always great talking to. Uh, black artists doing the work in the bay i'm always down for that it's, it's been great to be here um yeah but i also am interested in. we should be collaborating on this william dorsey swan story and putting it on stage
3: somehow it's
1: realize.
3: it's it's exciting it is yeah. it is because it's blowing people's minds that's what i'm loving right. about it more than anything and i'm like right okay
2: <laughs> right right
1: right and they also the fact that he was, you know, this, this artist was bold enough to go to Grover, um, you know, President Grover Cleveland. Grover was
0: Cleveland, like, yeah, that's right. Right
1: now. Like, yeah. <laughs> give me in jail. Yeah. I'm amazing. Give me a pardon. So, like, powerful, powerful,
0: powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. all praise to, well, I mean, I'm a bit of a history nut, but Grover Cleveland, he was the only Democrat to be elected president between 1860 and 1912. Because he was mm. a Northern Democrat, he was not the antebellum Southern Democrat. He was a Northern mm. Democrat who mm. wanted to push reform, and he wanted to push a lot of the progressive policies that um, you know we try to push right now. Which is why he had the meeting with mm-hmm. uh, the, the individual, and of course uh, he immediately pushed right. out. Um, but in any case, that's that. Uh, we want to thank everyone who is watching the yay. Uh, you're probably watching on YouTube, and so like, subscribe. You know what the millennials say. You know if you like us. Uh, <laughs> then subscribe to us. If not, then, you know, let us know, you know, how we can fix the yay to make it a little bit better. And for those who are traditionally listening to us via um, the apps, you can listen to our, our podcast on any app that you listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on the uh, the iTunes app. We're on the podcast app, that purple app that you see on your iPhone or iPad. And if you are an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, I'm at red space clay.
3: And I'm at who's your Hoosier.
0: AJ, is there a place where people can reach
1: out to you directly? oh yes um you can reach out on my instagram at am uh, underscore am underscore queer director am underscore queer director and i'm happy to see you there yep and we will put
0: a link to it as well all right fellas thank you very very much and uh, as norman and i always
3: say we gotta find a better sign off and we are out